This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hi there, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno, and I'm thrilled to be back hosting Rotowire's hockey podcast show. I'm also very excited to introduce my new co-host, AJ Scholes. Welcome, AJ. Thanks, Paul. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm excited to be joining the Rotowire Hockey Podcast this season. This is our second year doing this pod, AJ, and uh, we had a lot of fun last year with one of the head guys at Rotowire's hockey side, Andrew Fiorentino. I want to give a nod to Andrew for a fun and entertaining year with him, and I'm sure we're going to meet that standard this year in a new tandem, AJ. I've got a lot of faith in you, and you come very highly recommended. Our listeners are going to love your analysis. Uh, as our lawyer, loyal listeners know from year one, they'll recall our first order of business is to bring you up to speed for the start of the upcoming regular season with a review of the old face and the new faces in new places in a division-by-division preview along with our predicted order of finish for each loop. You'll also hear our slant on all of the relevant news and player notes that will give you the edge on the competition both in daily and season-long pools. As always, we will return two popular features to the end of our broadcast. We have the stud of the week where we highlighted a player or even a team official who's performed above and beyond the call of duty. And then we have the rant of the week, AJ, where we blast a player or a team official for misconduct to borrow a hockey reference. Yeah, and we'll, uh, as, as you said, Paul, we'll plan to do our four divisional preview shows so we can go into some detail on each club before the re- regular season starts. Uh, we'll break down top scoring forward lines, projected defensive pairings, and goalie workload splits. And so let's get into it, uh, looking at the teams in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference this week, AJ. First up, the Boston Bruins. They finished fourth in this group last season, missing the playoffs, which is a rare occurrence for Boston over the last 25 years, with a 42-31-9 mark. I see their forward lines shaping up this way. They've got uh, Brad Marchand, who's uh, in the last year of a contract and uh, looking for a new pact. He'll be on the first line left wing with Patrice Bergeron and then Jimmy Hayes on the right side. And then second line, Matt Bolesky, David Krejci, and David Pasternak, all three of which uh, have some scoring pedigree there too. Then the third line, more of a checking line. we got Frankie Vitrano, David Backus, and Ryan Spooner along those forward ranks. I'm a little bit concerned, AJ, about the age of some of these guys. Bergeron and Krejci particularly, they're heading into that area where they're in their early 30s. They're taking up a lot of salary cap space. And uh, particularly Krejci, I guess, has some injury concerns as well. In the offseason, they also signed David Backus to a five-year deal with a $6 million annual cap hit. I'm not sure I would have gone that far for a third-line center, spending that much of a cap on a guy who's already 32 years old. This is a team, based on their forward lines alone and then some concerns on the defense that we'll get into, that I think that big arrows will be pointing down this season. Sure, yeah. Uh 
David Back is definitely the clear upgrade there. Um, I could see them, you know, going a little bit outside of the box with him, uh, lining him up on the wing, uh, which you know kind of increases his his value there, makes him worth that uh, that big deal a little bit more if they can get him off the third line. Um, you could definitely argue he had a down year last year, twenty one goals, twenty four assists. Uh, but he makes the move from St. Louis. No reason to think he can't get back to uh, putting up 50 points a year again as he has in the past. Uh, as you mentioned, David Pasternak, another uh, bright player there. Uh, 20-year-old is entering his third year in the league and could definitely uh, get over that 20-goal thre- threshold there. Um, so, yeah, definitely some bright spots there. I'm a little bit different. I, I think uh, they're trending up still. Um but, you know, we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. Uh, so for defensive pairs, we're looking at uh, Zdeno Chara and Kevin Miller, Tori Krug and Adam McQuaid, and then John Michael Lyles and Joe Morrow. Uh, as you mentioned with the forwards, I'm concerned about the age here on defense as well. Uh, Chara and Lyles are 39 and 35 respectively. Morrow is the only one of these guys under the age of 25. And as a unit, they kind of lack production with Krug really being the only one who consistently puts up points. Yeah, that's a, that's another red flag for me on this team. There's a lot more teams than you think that, that carry two or even three defensemen that can put up about 35 to 50 points in that range. So th- there's a little deficiency in Boston. They need to try and squeeze a little bit more out of Zdeno Chara, but he's 39 years old and uh, nearing the end of days. And uh, as a Leaf fan, i got to tell you, I can't wait till that guy's out of the picture because he dominates when he's on the ice he's got that wingspan that looks like a 747 when he's playing in the defensive side of the puck it's just a, a miracle when you get around that guy it seems but he lost a bit of a half step last year and and it's certainly reflected in his scoring totals and I see this guy struggling to get to the 40 point mark so don't overrate a guy like him Krug is the guy that's going to carry the mail on the special teams and take over probably as the linchpin on the power play. I see a spike in production for him, possibly even teasing the 50-point plateau. And uh, so that's where the value is on this blue line. I I share your analysis of the rest of the blue line. It's pretty nondescript. There's a couple couple of plug-ins, Miller and Lyles. uh, Lyles is certainly a guy that was capable of high point totals, but again, he's seen his production decline in the last couple of years, so don't expect that from him this year. Maybe put him in the 25 to 30 point range as a high estimate. So there are a lot of indicators to me that point this team in a downward direction, not the least of which is the goaltending, AJ, where where I see Tuka Rask as a guy who, who routinely ranked in the top 10 of any goalie rankings that you've seen in the last three or four years, but I saw a bit of a dip in his play last year possibly because he faced a lot more rubber than he was used to seeing in the past and uh, that was a factor surely uh, that's going to continue with the quality of defense in front of him as I said Uh, he's going to be backed by a familiar face in Boston Anton Kudobin uh, was re-signed to come back in and I think he's going to get a little more playing time than most people might anticipate so not a bad backup goalie in that circumstance AJ what's your take on this yeah, it's definitely uh, Tuka time or bust over there, Paul. Um, <laughs> Anton Kubinen, uh, you know, probably posts around a 500 record, in my opinion, in his limited appearances. So if anything happens to Rask, uh, they'll either need to trade for a replacement, and there's definitely some out there, um, something were to happen, or just throw in the towel on the season, to be honest. Um, I, I really think they're going to rise and fall with what happens to Tuka Rask this season. Well, that's that's our look at the Boston Bruins then. We're going to switch over to uh, one of their top rivals, and that's the Buffalo Sabres. Now, this is a team that I think is poised for an upward tick, AJ. They, they've gone about the rebuild in, in the right way. One of the, one of the things about the, the successful rebuilds that I've seen over the last 10 years is you've you got to sink to the bottom of the standings before you rise up, and you've got to hang on to those draft picks, make good choices with those top picks, and the Sabres have a boatload of them, and uh, not the least of which is Jack Eichel. I can't wait to see what this guy looks like this season in year two. But he is uh, insulated at the center position by Ryan O'Reilly, who is going to be the center on the first line uh, in the middle of Evander Kane and Kyle Pozo, an offseason signing from the Islanders, who will look good on the right wing. Uh, Buffalo did make the big splash, signing the big uh, scoring winger and taking him away from the Islanders, and I think he's going to be a nice fit there on the top line. The second line is going to be an interesting mix uh, with Tyler Ennis, 
Jack Eichel and uh, Sam Reinhardt. Sam Reinhardt's got a real good upside in terms of being a scoring winger as well. So that's a tandem that should uh, group that should put up some serious point totals. The third line is an interesting mix of, of uh, grit and skill as well with with uh, Marcus Foligno, Zemgis Gergensens, and Matt Molson. There's two wingers there that there, there's two players there that can really put the puck in the net. Molson, a power play specialist over the last few years, so and a former Islander as well. It seems like they went across state in Buffalo to to get uh, to raid the uh, uh, conference rival and uh, pad their roster. I like the three line mix in this offense. This is a team that's headed in the right direction. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, the youth movement is on in the home of the chip, chicken wing. Uh, they've got a fantastic young core with uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Sam Reinhardt, and as you mentioned, of course, Jack Eichel. Um, I think the future of this franchise really boils down to the ability of Coach Dan Bilesma to maximize their talents. Uh, as a Penguins fan, I've, I've seen Dan and what he can do. I'm a big fan, was honestly a little disappointed when they first got rid of him. So I really think he can... Um, you know, bring those guys up and, and bring out the best of them. Um, I think few people would be surprised to see Eichel come close to averaging a point per game this season. I, I honestly believe he could do it. Um, O'Reilly is going to be right there with him. And yeah, as you mentioned, Kyle uh, Oposo, you know, he becomes almost a veteran on this team given how young they are. Um, you know, and I do think we have to mention the one big cloud hanging over the team comes in the form of Evander Kane in the off-ice legal trouble. Um, what, if any, impact this has on their season remains to be seen, but definitely some concerns there. You know, his talent's great, but he's got to, you know, figure it out off ice. Um, as far as defense goes, we're looking at uh, Josh George's paired up with uh, Ras- Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, you got Kula- Dmitry Kulikov and Zach Bogosian. And then finally, their last pairing there, Jake McCabe and Cody Franson. Um, I Looking at this group, it's the complete opposite of what we just talked about with the Bruins. Uh, Youth continues to dominate in Buffalo. I think their number one priority for the organization has to be locking up Ristolainen long term. Uh, At the end of the day, they're going to have to pay him his money. And I'm looking somewhere in the range of that $6.5 million mark, uh, similar to what uh, Alex Petrangelo or Keith Yandel got. Yeah, they, they have a similar makeup on the blue line as the Boston Bruins in terms of the point-producing capability there, AJ. I think that they're going to lean heavily on Ristolainen, and he's shown the ability to be that power play quarterback-type defenseman. But there's a significant drop-off in the scoring ability of the guys behind him. You mentioned Bogosian, McCabe, even Cody Franzen, the guy who used to be on the Leafs power play, was fairly productive there. But uh, he's not going to be a top-pairing guy. He might see some special teams duty, but uh, even then I see him topping out at no more than 30 points. In fact, I'll, I think that the rest of this, each of these guys on defense is life and death to approach that mark. And, and I think that's really part of the next growth uh, stage in, in Buffalo. they got to look for a guy to help Ristolainen to be a productive guy on that blue line. Uh, that's a gap that needs to be filled and probably will keep them in the bottom half of the division standings prior to the uh, for the length of this season in any case uh, and we have to also look at the goaltending here an interesting mix Robin Leonard he had some injury issues last year he's a bit one of these big goalies that is the new trend in the NHL it seems that uh, teams are locking up these skyscrapers that uh, that cover up a lot of the net and Leonard certainly is one of those guys at six foot seven got all the tools to play uh, effectively as well so if he can be a goalie that who sustains uh, good, uh, who enjoys good health, he it'll go a long way to to seeing what the upward tra- trajectory is for this club. How do you see the goaltending shaking out here? Yeah, Paul, the the Sabers haven't had a dominant number one netminder in my opinion since Ryan Miller, and some in the you know in that city would probably even reach back to the Dominic Hasek era. Um, Lerner, as you mentioned, missed the bulk of last season with that injury. Um, but we're just hearing recently he's coming in about 40 pounds lighter this summer. Um, so, you know, not going to have the, the same bulk, might be able to move a little bit easier. Uh, you bring Nielsen over from St. Louis, but neither player has really been tested yet uh, through a full 82-game grind. And there's definitely some concerns, you know, as that, that backstop. Yeah, I agree with you there. And like I said, we've got a couple of uh, issues with the team, but they're headed in the right direction, and Buffalo fans should take heart that – then the future does certainly look bright there. It's a little more mixed story over in Detroit, though. Uh, We'll take a look at the Red Wings next. This is a team that uh, had to suffer the uh, 
the departure of one of their signature players, Pavel Datsuk, is toiling in the KHL. And boy, I've seen some of the highlights in the early going there. He looks like he's still got a lot of uh, gas in the tank, AJ, making the highlight reels on YouTube with some fantastic efforts in uh, in his first few games over there in the KHL. But he's gone home making a personal decision for him and his family that, that certainly is going to impact the Red Wings. They were fortunate to get rid of his contract, though. They made one of those deals in the offseason where they shed uh, the last year of his contract. They gave it to... Arizona Coyotes in exchange for a draft pick and so that gave him a little bit of flexibility they used that to sign a couple of players uh, Thomas Vanek is in the mix and uh, Franz Nilsson is going to be a key player going forward and that was another big signing in the offseason and uh, their forwards line up kind of like this we see uh, Dylan Larkin is going to be a guy who's going to be moved over to the center position I do believe AJ he's got he's a guy that bucked the trend in Detroit over the last several years where he didn't go to Grand Rapids and and he went straight from the uh, uh, minor ho- junior hockey ranks to the NHL. Uh, no other Detroit Red Wing prospect has done that in the last 15 years as far as I know. And he's going to get a plum assignment. He's going to be par- paired with Henrik Zetterberg. He's got a few injury woes that I know you're going to want to touch on. And Justin Abdelkader, uh, a guy who's going to take over the Johan Franzen role of being the horse on the first line and probably the guy that stands in front of that and takes a beating on the power play, but that power play presence will uh, juice uh, Abdelkader's point scoring totals. Then on a second line, I see Nielsen centering Gustav Nyquist, who's a bona fide sniper. I love the skill set that this guy brings. He's a surefire guy to get 30 goals and maybe even 60 to 70 points, in my opinion. And Darren Helm is a guy who's more of a plugger, but being on the second line, he's a guy who should approach 20 goals as well. The third line has a couple of interesting parts that they brought along slowly. Thomas Tatar and Riley Sheehan, they're going to be partnered with Thomas Vanek. This is a guy that I just don't like as a hockey player, AJ. He's the kind of guy that drives me and I'm sure a lot of teammates crazy. He's got a great tool set, but boy, uh, the key to the toolbox might be missing. This guy just seems to float around and is uh, skating around on, on past laurels, I think. He has a final chance to get it right here. Otherwise, I think he's going to ride off into the sunset after this season. I don't see much of a future for Vanek in hockey unless he finds a way to find his heart and soul and give it 100% to match that skill set. What's your take on the forward units here? Yeah, I think you're dead on with Vanek there. It's it's honestly a little weird to see him as as a third-line guy. But, you know, with his, you know, for whatever reason, his his lack of drive, whatever it is, you know, he just hasn't produced the way he sh- he should, or at least we all think he should. Um, so he, I agree, he he has a, a chance here to kind of show something. If there's injuries ahead of him, he could move into that you know that top six position. Um, he's been given a golden opportunity here with Detroit, and a little bit less pressure too. I think in Minnesota they started to turn to him a little bit um, as kind of that main main guy in some ways, and then that you know really didn't pan out. Um, so yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. And then definitely there's, you have to be concerned about Zetterberg's knee injury, Paul. It sounds like uh, in addition to missing the World Cup, he's also going to miss the start of uh, camp, if not the entirety of it. And even if he is healthy enough to start the season, there's going to be rust there. And using the opening two weeks of the season to shake off the cobwebs is certainly not ideal. Um, again, it, it may seem obvious to our listeners, but Dylan Larkin is the player to watch on this squad. He's the reigning NHL's uh, fastest skater, and he's got a real good chance to improve on his 45-point uh, rookie campaign. Uh, defense uh, is going to line up like this, it looks like. Uh, you got Nicholas Cronwell with Mike Green, Jonathan Eric Erickson with Danny DeKaiser, uh, Brendan Smith with Alexei Marchenko. And what I like most about this group is the number of point producers. You know, we've talked uh, earlier on the on Buffalo and uh, Boston about you know limited number of guys who can put up some points, but all you know Cronwell, Green, Erickson, and DeKaiser, all four of them could easily rack up forty or more points this season. And I think the value of getting production in the offensive end of the ice from your blue liners just can't be overstated. What do you uh, see with the D lines? Well, I think you nail it in terms of the potential here on the blue line and what separates them from the first two teams that we've highlighted, in my opinion. And I'll throw another name out there, a young prospect who has gone through the Grand Rapids system. That's uh, Xavier Ouellette. He may be playing for the first time as a, an NHLer as a 23-year-old, but he's come through that uh, that uh, Grand Rapids incubator, as I call it, with 29 points last year in 61 AHL games. And he was also challenged with a heavy workload. So I think he adds to that mix and gives him a tremendous depth along the blue line. Certainly, uh, 
Nicholas Cronwell, 35 years old. The guy plays a rugged game, and you wonder if the wheels are going to fall off at some point. But I'd bet on him. I, in fact, I'd bet on the Detroit Red Wings big time. I, I learned for many years, never underestimate this squad. They have one of the best front offices in the entire league, and I know some of these guys personally. And uh, their goal is to continue to make the playoffs for the rest of Mike Illich's days to extend that incredible record of success. So they've done it the right way by, by sprinkling in youth over the last couple of years, and we've seen that all over this roster. But uh, now you're starting to see a big time on the blue line, whereas they started with the forward ranks, and, and it's been a seamless transition. Uh, it's not a rebuild. It's a retool in Detroit, and they have still got a lot of skill and talent. And you said it. There's, three, I think, three guys here that could easily get around the 40-point total, and that's pretty good for defensive depth uh, late in your draft and season long and certainly something you can look at on DFS on a nightly basis. Find out which of these guys is on the power play. It looks like it's going to be Green and Cronwell to start the season, but it's fluid. It'll move based on who's hot and injury situations, and they've got capable backups. And in terms of uh, the net mining situation, it's uh, that's the only question mark that I have here, and it's only a question mark because of the money they've committed to the tandem of Peter Morazic and Jimmy Howard. They've gotten about over $9.5 million, most of that with Jimmy Howard. That's a bit of a concern for me because I see Morazic as being the guy that can take over the load, and I think he'll play upwards of 50 to 55 games, approaching that top tier of goalie, uh, goalie ranks around the NHL. Jimmy Howard may be an albatross, though, with that salary cap, in my opinion. AJ, what's your call here? Yeah, I'm right there with you on the goalie situation. Uh, Mrazek has really proven himself as a clear number one in the Motor City. And I agree. I think Howard's $5 million cap hit is just too much to pay for a 20 to 25 night player. Um, and you mentioned that that AHL Grand Rapids incubator. Uh, the Wings have Jared uh, Corio sitting right there uh, waiting in the Wings. He put together a pretty solid 29, 15, and 2 season and recorded six shutouts in the AHL last year. Um, I watched the 24-year-old play a handful of times. Uh, he rarely looked off his game, and I think he'd be a, a, an equal uh, talent-wise and significantly cheaper option than than Jimmy Howard. Okay, see that? You got one on me. You're, you're scouting the AHL games. That's great. That's great for our listeners. Great for me to have that insight on this show, AJ. But you need to do something more exciting with your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> the Florida Panthers are up next. They finished first in the division with a 47, 29, and 6 mark. And that's a testament to GM Dale Talon's steady and systematic building plan. This guy's done it twice now. He did it in Chicago. They're still living off off what he started over there, in my opinion. And he doesn't get enough credit for what happened there. But he should get all the credit for what, what's going on in Florida. They've amassed a deep talent pool up front, which will line up like so. They've got Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov, along with the ageless one. This guy's incredible. Jaromir Yager continues to amaze me. He's play, gonna. He's projected for frontline minutes again in Florida as a 43, 44-year-old uh, player, but one of the greats of all time, obviously, and uh, a guy who's rapidly climbed up the all-time charts from one of the signature players in hockey hockey history you can say and the second line uh, a bit bit of a no-name group but don't discount the quality here UC Jokinen one of the better playmaking winners around the league Vincent Trocek at center another skilled forward and Riley Smith a guy they plucked from the Boston Bruins who was a 20-goal guy they've got six forwards here in my opinion that who could tease the 20-goal plateau and not too many teams in the in the uh, Atlantic Division can say that, in my opinion. Uh, they look for a big year from Barkov, probably to touch close to a point a game. Huberdo is also a, a winger who could threaten that mark as well. So they've got guys, really high-end players. A third-line center that I love is... is uh, Bugstad over there. He he's a guy, Nick Bugstad, who has some pedi- pedigree. His father played in the NHL too. This is the center that you want on your team. Is a big skilled forward and they've got him in the third line that shows you how rich these guys are they went out and added a couple of wingers from other squads they got jared mccann a high, highly regarded prospect from vancouver and march assault from the lightning there to, to fill out the top three lines I, I like the makeup of this team a lot and i think they're going to challenge to the for the division title yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit there, Paul. Um, I have real concerns with this team on the lack of depth outside of that top six. Um, Huberto, Jager, Jokinen, as you mentioned, those guys are going to get their points. Um, but that bottom six group, I think, is really thin in terms of production. Um, McCann hasn't really shown any, you know, a ton of um, NHL experience yet. Marchessault, I think, is 
is in that same boat. Like ha- he's got that opportunity. There's some talent there, but really hasn't shown much. And I, I think they're almost hanging uh, Bukestad out to dry here, bringing those two guys in with him. Um, even looking further to that fourth line, um, you know, you've got Thornton and McKenzie. Both of those guys are over 35, along with, you know, Yager. At some point, those guys are going to hit a wall. Um, you know, it happens to everybody. Whether it's this year or next year uh, remains to be seen. But it's going to happen eventually. And I have serious concerns about the depth outside of that that top six. Um, defensively, you know, you've got Keith Yandel comes over. I think that's a great signing for them. Uh, Aaron Eckblad will likely pair up with him. Um, Mike Matheson, and then they bring in Jason Demers from Dallas, another, in my opinion, great signing. Uh, and then your last group there, uh, Jacob Kendall and Alex uh, Petrovich. Uh, excuse me, Petrovich. Uh, the blue line, I think, is what will keep this team competitive. Keith Yandel, uh, as I mentioned, brings in 42 assists from last season. Uh, to sit there with their $60 million man, Aaron Eckblad. And then, yeah, adding Jason Demers from Dallas, that's a trio of offensive-minded defensemen who are proven scorers, can really put up some numbers. And and I think if this team goes anywhere, it's going to be really based on that blue line. What, what do you see there, Paul? Well, first of all, I got a, I got a tally going that we got a bet here on the, on the forward ranks. So it's the Canadian loonie against the American dollar. I know there's an exchange rate difference, but... Uh, you're working more hours than me, so you can afford the difference. So, so I'll keep that tally going, and we'll have a we'll have a count at the end of the season to see who wins uh, what. Maybe I'll buy you a beer in Vegas, or you might wind up buying me one when we do the annual visit with the rest of our friends uh, next summer. Uh, but in terms of the defense pairings here, you hit it on uh, on one count. I think uh, that needs to be mentioned that uh, Ekblad certainly uh, one of the studs on the blue line in the whole NHL. This guy was a number one overall pick uh, uh, who's really panned out, and, and the sky's the limit for him. But don't discount a guy like Keith Yandel. This guy's been a big-time point producer. This is one team that has a luxury of two guys, I think, that could reach the 50-point plateau, and it really separates them from a lot of teams in all of hockey in that perspective. Uh, and uh, they're... they're uh, Full marks for, for all that they've done, both of those guys. Yandel's only 30 years old, and, and he's been such a consistent point producer, almost overrated because he toiled in relative anonymity, playing a lot of years in smaller markets that uh, really didn't shine the light on, on what this guy's been capable of. So, And Demers, a very good third option. All three guys can man the power play, so it'll be a matter of who winds up on that power play unit to see how how productive these guys can be alongside uh, Aaron Ekblad. Uh, we turn our attention for a moment in goal to uh, an interesting situation here. Where they got something old and something new in terms of the, what the, what's coming to the roster in that position. Roberto Luongo, up to 37 years of age. He had a fabulous year last year behind this team, but the team was really good in front of him in terms of a team defense that was one of the best in fewest shots allowed. And another guy who's going to enjoy that stat uh, came out of the Toronto Rubber Factory, and that's James Reimer, who's 28 years old. He's proven he's proven in the past, AJ, that he can handle a load for an extended period of time. He may get that chance right out of the chute because Longo has had some injury woes with his hip over the summer and maybe slow uh, recovering and, and may cede control of the crease in the early going to Reimer. I don't think it's a concern, and I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah, I definitely think some level of concern is justified, uh, specifically Luongo's uh, unwillingness to give a timetable for his return from that hip injury. Um, You know, when you've you've got an injury like that, you know, you're talking with your doctors constantly. I think he knows where he's at, and I think the lack of a a timetable um, really raises some red flags there for me. Uh, But I do agree. I think the Panthers are in good hands with Reimer in the interim. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want him to be my number one goalie all season long, but he can definitely fill in and keep them in contention until Luongo's ready to go. Well, uh, so we agree on that. There's no more loonies, just one so far. We'll switch over to the Montreal Canadiens. This is a team that I despise. As a Leaf fan, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's rule number one. If you're a Leaf fan, you cannot be a Montreal fan. The Canadians, though, come into this season hopeful that their star goalie is uh, all better and uh, they'll do much better than missing the playoffs and finishing with a 38-38-6 mark, which was good for only sixth in the division last year. The Canadians did make a couple of splashy additions to their forward ranks, AJ, which which uh, helps the three units look something like this. Max Pacioretty, their captain, on the left wing with Alex Galchenyuk, uh, kind of an enigmatic guy. They expected more from him, and I think we might see some growth this year. And Brendan Gallagher, 
uh, Pesta in the ilk of uh, Brad Marchand. These are guys that you love as teammates, but you absolutely hate as as uh, opponents. And uh, the fact is that he's a scorer. He's a power play presence. All three of these guys factor in on the power play, and they should be guys that should get upwards of 60 points apiece. The uh, second line is where things start to fall off, although that they, they did get a big boost with a, uh, one of those splashy additions being Alexander Radulov. This guy's an uber-skilled forward. You just wonder if his head's going to be into, into it because that's been the knock against him in his past and, and even in his time in the KHL. It got in his way a little bit. Uh, a guy that's going to be promoted a little bit to the second line uh, might be a bit of a dark horse, uh, a candidate for breakout campaign even, as Daniel Carr. He'll be playing with Thomas Placanis, maybe the one player on this team who I really admire. Placanis is a skilled two-way center who can get 50 to 60 points, won't hurt you with a plus-minus, and often gets the tough checking assignment from the opposing centers. But you know what? That sometimes works out, AJ, because sometimes these checking centers, when they have some some offensive touch. They can take advantage of the fact that some of the lines they play with, uh, play against are one-way units who aren't very good defensively, and that certainly helped Placanitz in the past to reach the 20-goal, 50-point mark on a routine basis. Third line looks like Philip Deneau, David Dayarnay, and Andrew Shaw. Andrew Shaw comes over from the Hawks, brings a ton of grit and leadership. That's both aspects that have been missing in, in large quantities in Montreal. He'll fill a big role there, even though he's projected as a third liner. May challenge for second line minutes if Carr doesn't work out. I could see him switching over to the left side on that second unit. How do you see the forward lines shaking down? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm in agreement with you there on, on most of that. I do think uh, that Alexander Radulov uh, signing is perhaps one of the strangest off-season signings um, by any team this year. Uh, he hasn't played in the NHL since the 2011 and 12 season. He's you know getting up there. He's at 30 years of age, and I'm not really sure why they're willing to shell out almost six million dollars um, for a guy that you know just hasn't played in the league. There's definite adjustments uh, between the KHL and the NHL, and I'm I'm not sure about that signing. On the flip side, they've they've got a great decision, I think, by bringing in Andrew Shaw. Uh, as you said, he can restore some of that winning pedigree that's been missing in Montreal for a long time. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, I like what you're what uh, what you're selling with Daniel Carr there. Definitely uh, could be a breakout player for them this year. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there for the most part. Um, but yeah, that Radulov deal just strikes me as as very odd. Uh, for defense, we're looking at uh, Nathan Boylo pairing up with uh, the new man, Shea Weber. Uh, then you've got Andre Markov and uh, Alexi Emelin, Mark Barbaro, and Jeff Petrie rounding out that uh, that group there. And you certainly can't talk about this blue line without mentioning the blockbuster Weber-Suban deal. I think when you factor in that Suban is slightly younger, doesn't carry that burden of an additional 10 years remaining on his contract, you know, I think the Canadians got the short end of the stick on this deal. You know, having said that, though, Weber is showing no signs of slowing down and can definitely put up the same type of production that made him a perennial all-star. So you might not see that kind of um, that downside this year, maybe even not next year. But at some point, I just think it's going to be it's going to wind up being a bad deal for the Canadians. Uh, Subban, as I mentioned, is is on track to have, you know, maybe a Hall of Fame career. Um, Weber certainly could too, but with the extra years that Subban's got left, you just can't overlook that. Yeah, that, uh, what do you see, Paul? That long-range analysis on Weber is spot on, I think. But uh, I think he's also going to suffer from the fact that he's looking across the ice and he won't see Roman Yossi. That, to me, was the number one tandem in the NHL, and uh, it still might be over there in Nashville with Subban taking his spot out there. But I think his point totals will suffer just because of the quality of the rest of his mates along this blue line. Uh, Markov is a guy who's lost more than a step. This guy looks like a turnstile some nights when uh, the speedy opponents blow by him. He's still one of the best passers in terms of outlet passing and really kickstarts a lot of the Montreal offense from deep in his zone. But he's a guy who's 37 years old, and they've still got him pegged for top pairing minutes. I think that's a bit of a concern for me. But that's because of the drop-off to Boilo and uh, Petrie and some of the other guys that you mentioned that... Uh, the quality of the depth here is what's going to keep these guys battling to get into a playoff spot. I think it's the, definitely the weak spot of this team and uh, raises a bit of a concern for me as a, as a bipartisan 
an analyst, I'll say. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't mind the fact that there, there's a glaring hole on that blue line. i got to see uh, as a Leaf fan, like I said. But uh, Weber's a guy who should still threaten the 45 to 50-point mark. I think he, he will take a bit of a hit, just because, though because of the quality on the uh, of the mates back there. And uh, and uh, he'll rue the day that that he will move from Nashville, I think, when he looks at the end of his career, because this is a team that, that may be on the way down as opposed to on the way up. Uh, we'll go over to the goaltending situation, and that's where the biggest question mark remains. We're going to see the early answer, though, in uh, this World Cup of Hockey that's going to be taking place starting next week. Carey Price is pegged as the number one starter there and certainly the number one guy in Montreal. He took a long time to get over uh, his injury woes last season and into this summer. And uh, as as long as we haven't seen him on the ice, there has to be a question mark there because he uh, this team will go only so far as, as he takes them. He still rates as one of the top five goalies in hockey easily. Could be the number one guy if he bounces back to the level that he was before. And he's backed by Al Montoya, a guy, a veteran guy that, that was brought in from Florida, and they have depth even in the minors. Mike Condon stepped in last season when Price went down with an injury, and he'll be waiting in the AHL wings as insurance should uh, Carey Price falter or Montoya not work out. So the goaltending is deep, but it depends on on Carey Price. Yeah, uh, spot on with you there. No uh, no loony to, to dollar bet on this one. Um, Carey Price is, is the make or break for this team. Uh, the 29-year-old looked a little shaky in that World Cup of Hockey ex- exhibition match, but that's about what you would expect from a guy who hasn't played in almost a year. Um, I think no other player is going to benefit more from the World Cup than Carey Price. Uh, just getting that opportunity to suit up in a competitive match against some of the best competition in the world I think is really going to help him. Yeah, uh, I think I think you're right there, and uh, I'm happy to say so. <laughs> the Ottawa Senators are a team that we're going to look, look at next, another team that might be trending in a downward direction. We both think that. They uh, they came off a winning season last year, 38, 35, and 9, finishing fifth in the division. The Senators are trying to retool on the fly. I'm not crazy about how they're going about it, uh, AJ, and we'll get into that shortly. They're choosing to bring in some veterans to bolster the offense and blue line over the past year. That's not a formula for long-term success and a rebuild. It's been tried by other teams, even in this division, without success. I'm wondering why they even went down this road. But uh, the forward lines shape up as, as follows. They've got Mike Hoffman on the wing with Derek Broussard. That was a pretty good deal that they swung to get him in there in exchange for Mika Zibanejad. And Mark Stone, a power forward. I love the, the makeup of this kid. He's got the size, the skill, the speed. He can do it all. He's a guy that should test the 30-goal mark on an annual basis. So they got him and Hoffman, 30-goal potential, each of them. And Broussard, who's one of the best uh, distributors, I think that's going to be a dy- dynamic number one unit. Followed by Zach Smith, Kyle Torres, and Bobby Ryan. Bobby Ryan is just a pure goal scorer. This guy's another guy who could potentially tease the 30-goal mark again. Kyle Torres is a guy who I think a lot hinges on on this team. This, he's got injury troubles. He's, he's had an up-and-down career. He's such a skilled player. Dating back to his junior days, he was junior player of the year in Canada on merit, a star in the world tournament back then. I never forgot that about him, and he's never really lived up to that potential, in my opinion. And that's why I peg him as a second-line center in this circumstance, along with Zach Smith, as I said on the wing. Zach Smith's more of a plugging-type player, a guy who should get more than 30 or 40 points, maybe as a max that we'll see out of him. But that's where that's an indicator of where things tail off here. They haven't got six quality forwards, in my opinion. It drops off even further when you look at Clark MacArthur, a uh, veteran who's had injury troubles, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and Curtis Lazar, another highly regarded guy who's become more of a grit player than a scorer. Uh, so there's a bit of a fall-off in the offense that... Uh, we don't see from the top teams, and that's why I don't think this is a team that threatens for a playoff spot this season based on the forward units. How do you assess the, the front ranks here? Yeah, I think even with the addition of Derek Broussard, in, in my opinion, the team remains tied to the ups and downs of Kyle Turris. I, I really believe he's a, the best player they have in Ottawa. You know, he went down with that injury um, last season, and I think there's, you know, the, the year really went downhill from there uh, for them from there. And, and somehow, despite having uh, point-producing talent like Mark Stone, Bobby Ryan, and even Zach Smith, uh, nothing about these forward combinations really jumps off the page at me. Um, and like you said, it's, it's a top-heavy group. 
the the bottom six guys probably can't be relied on much more really than just eating up minutes so the top guys can take a break on the bench for their next shift. Uh, so yeah, I think they're I think they're in some trouble this season. Um, defensively, you look at uh, Mark Mathot pairing up with Eric Carlson, fantastic player there. Um, Dion Phaneuf will uh, probably be on the second pairing with Cody Cece. Again, Phaneuf came in in that uh, that trade midseason. And then uh, lastly, you got Mark uh, Borbietsky and Chris Weidman as that last group. I think Eric Carlson really has a, a great chance to win his third Norris Trophy this season. Um, and I, I'm going to go out on him here. It's kind of unheard of to predict a player will score a point per game from the blue line. But that's exactly what uh, Carlson did last season. And I think he can do that again this year. Um, so kind of a bold prediction there for a point per season from a defenseman. But it's... Is something I think he can accomplish. And I, I do think the, the Senators will benefit from a full season with Dion Phaneuf on the bench. Uh, he's certainly going to improve their roster. you know, And I think his numbers are going to get better from what you saw last season, getting away from, honestly, the disaster that was the Maple Leafs last season. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that's hard hey, to hear. You had to but... get that in. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> First yeah, show, I... the guy's a rookie, and he goes and get, goes after me. That's that's cool. <laughs> it's it's a rough year they had, and and yeah, I think I think Fenuff will benefit from getting away from there. To be honest with you, you know what? One of the things I want to highlight here is you did point out that Carlson was a point a game guy, but his plus minus rating was a minus two. That about says it for the Ottawa Senators, though. They're a run and gun team that doesn't play that play that well in their defensive zone. And nothing indicates it more than this mark. When you're an 82-point guy, you got to have a better plus-minus rating. Uh, otherwise, your team's not going anywhere. And I, we both don't think the Senators are going too far. Uh, interesting guy in this mix is Cody Ceci. I have pegged, uh, like you, as a second-line defender. He's capable of joining that front line because right now my thoughts there is more of a, a guy who's looking to protect and insulate uh, Carlson from the defensive side of the puck. But CeCe's a guy who probably matched, matches up better skill, uh, skills-wise, and you could see if, if that pairing turns out to be real, then uh, you've got to bump up CeCe into a guy uh, who should get into the 40-point range. But otherwise, he'll be in that 30- to 40-point plateau. Phaneuf should be a guy that you don't overrate. He'll get some power play time, but he hasn't seen a 50-point season in a while. A few years, and uh, at 31, he's got a lot of miles on that body and a big contract. Uh, it scratches my, uh, it makes me scratch my head when I look at back at the contract and and the fact that the Ottawa Senators were willing to pluck him from the Maple Leafs and really assist Toronto in their rebuild because that contract was an albatross in Toronto. It's going to be an albatross in in Buffalo. I mean, uh, Ottawa, I should say. And one of the reasons why we keep this team looking in the downward direction over the next little while. In terms of the goaltending split, they've got some age in the number one guy, Craig Anderson. And Andrew Hammond, uh, his backup, is a guy who did play extended minutes in a leadership role when uh, Anderson's been down in the past. But Anderson looks like he's ready to take on that that full load again. He finished just barely over 500 last year. Uh, but but this is a guy who who is on the downside of his career. And I could see a potential huge drop-off in the Nets in this circumstance. How do you read it? Yeah, I think you're right on there. Goaltending is the weak link on this roster. And, you know, there's not much more to really say about these guys. As you mentioned, Craig Anderson, under 500 last year, put up a 2.78 goals against average. And that includes letting in four or more goals on 15 different occasions. Um, And Andrew Hammond didn't fare much better in his limited appearances, went 7-11-4. I just think this, this team could really use some help in goal and as I kind of mentioned earlier, there's there's definitely some options out there, um, some teams that might be willing to to shed a guy um, for the right prospect or uh, you know playmaker. Um, if the, if Ottawa's going to exceed our expectations this year, I think they're going to need to bring in an outsider in goal. That's a bold call, an interesting one. If if they can find a team that will take Anderson, that that certainly opens up that opportunity. The next team that we are looking at is the Tampa Lightning. We're going to go back to the top of the division again to see a team that really, to me, uh, they performed when there was a lot of uh, speculation around this team. They delivered the goods to be one of the top teams in the loop, and, and now they uh, don't have so many of those worries because of some exceptional work about from a guy who we'll talk about toward the latter part of the show. But the big story here is that Steven Stamkos is signed. I called in the first show of last season, you don't know this, but I called that Stamkos would wind up coming back to Toronto. 
I was hopeful. The Leafs apparently made an offer to this guy that was $2 million a year higher than what he eventually signed with in Tampa. And as my friend, um, one of my good friends said, you know what, why would he want to come to Toronto under the spotlight when he can stay in Florida, enjoy the beaches, the beautiful women, and, uh, and the relative anonymity of playing in a, in a market like, like that and not under the blazing spotlight of uh, his hometown. So good for Steve that he's got his life in order for the next several years and uh, that the uh, Tampa Lightning looks really lines up well in terms of what we see from them in the future. Look at the forward units here. The top two lines are rock solid. Uh, Alex Kalorn, longtime playing partner of Stan Coast, will the two of them will be jo- joined by Jonathan Drouin, who was another guy who uh, shed some controversy and really delivered in the playoffs. I'm anxious to see what he and Stan Coast look like on the same unit. I could see that pairing really flourishing and uh, driving both players back to great heights. Stan Coast could be a guy that's in line for point of game production. Just needs to stay healthy, and uh, that's a bit of a concern with him as well. On the second line, it's a well-known second unit that can be can be, can be a first-line unit here and many other teams. Andrej Palat, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, these guys are three of the quickest forwards and highly skilled. They're all guys that can, that can get it upwards of 60 to 70 points. Tyler Johnson even could be a point-per-game candidate, so that's two centers that are capable of that. The third line is where it drops off a little bit, but you'd expect that from the high water of the first two. J.T. Brown, Valtteri Filpula is a really good uh, insurance uh, in the center position, and Vladislav Nemesnikov, another skilled winger. This, is, this team's got tons of talent up front. Yeah, I think they're the team to beat in this division, um, and I, I don't see anybody uh, managing to, to dethrone them from that, that top spot. Um, I know they didn't win out the division last year, um, but I definitely think they will this year. And, you know, as you mentioned, Jonathan Druin, I think based on his success in the postseason, poised to have a monster year, especially if he's playing a full 82-game schedule. Uh, I don't think 30 goals is uh, with a, you know too far to reach for him, uh, especially as he gets you know more comfortable possibly lining up on the power play. And, I you know, don't sleep on Tyler either. Uh, he had a down year last season just 38 points, but I would expect him to be trending upwards back towards his 2014-15 uh, numbers when he put up 29 goals and 43 helpers. Uh, I, I think this is a, a group that uh, could, you know, could run away with, that, with, this, uh, with this division. Uh, defensively, uh, you've got Victor Hedman and Anton Strollman. You know, they're definitely the lead on this group. Um, after that, though, there's a significant drop-off. Um, Jason Garrison, Andre Schuster, as the second pair, and then uh, Slater Coco and Nikita Nesterov as the as the final pairing there. Um, you know, if the if the organization does decide to strip ship out uh, Andre Vasilevsky prior to the trade deadline, something all off these, and even at the trade deadline last year, I'd expect them to be looking for a top end defenseman in return. I think this uh, the lack of depth was really evident during the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And they simply just could not handle the third and fourth lines of Pittsburgh. Uh, what do you see, Paul? Well, I I see on this defense one of the other top pairings in the league. That's uh, Hedman is obviously one of the studs in in all of hockey on the blue line. But don't undersell a guy like Anton Strahlman. They were a great complement to one another. Strahlman is a guy who could who could easily get over the forty point mark. He's a guy if you're in season long, that would be a wise pickup uh, in the later rounds of a draft. Uh, a lot of people probably will overlook him, but this is a solid team, and he's a big reason why he'll get power play time alongside the, the productive the headman, so that could spike his totals. That's a guy to watch. I love the call you made earlier on Tyler Johnson. He could be a candidate for comeback player of the year easily. This guy way underperformed last season, maybe had too much of a role to handle with uh, all the noise around uh, Stamkos, and I think he's unburdened. I think the whole team is unburdened, and you're going to see the benefit of that. There's a drop-off on the blue line with uh, Suster and Coco, uh, two guys that will be life and death to get 25 points. I'd like to see them both to the blue line, like you said. Um, curious to know why you picked Vasilevsky as the guy that might move. We can get into that. When we look at the goaltending tandem here, I see Ben Bishop as the guy who eats up a lot of the salary cap with a 5.95 uh, cap hit. Vasilevsky performed well while, while uh, Bishop was out of lineup, and he's a guy I, I identify as their goalie of the future. I see Bishop as the chip that gets traded here. I guess you're thinking that it'll be hard to move that contract, but uh, Steve Eisenman's worked miracles with the salary cap, and I got a lot of faith in him. 
Yeah, definitely. I, it could be either one. It, it wouldn't be shocking to see either guy go. Um, I, I definitely think that that contract is what's going to make it hard to get Bishop out of there. Um, and he is a stud, though. I mean, I think he would you know, still fetch quite a price on the trade market if they can find someone to take it. You know, maybe they could work something out. You know, we were just talking about a, a goaltending problems in Ottawa. Maybe they could tr- make a Cody CC for Ben Bishop trade, something like that. Um, you know, maybe some other uh, draft picks or prospects thrown in. I do think I think you're right on with Vasilevsky being the the goaltender of the future. You know, but they're kind of in a win now situation. Stamkos isn't getting any younger. They were right there last year, um, so they may you know, look to get rid of, you know, shed Vassal just to be able to, you know, win with Bishop now and kind of mortgage the future a little bit if it'll get on the Stanley Cup. Great calls on all of that. Uh, even some trade rumors. Boy, you're coming up large in the first first episode. I love it. <laughs> the Leafs, my Toronto Maple Leafs, they finished dead last and more importantly to their fan base, they won the draft lottery after posting a 29, 42 and 11 mark last season. They suddenly have a boatload of forwards to choose from and some pretty good quality among them. That Their forward units, there are a lot of names you can throw together here. The best way I could piece it together as follows, though. Leo Komarov, this guy, in his first go-around with the club, was just a, a real distraction for opponents when he was on the ice. But I didn't know how much ho- hockey sense and skill he had until I watched him a full season last year. He's a tough player to play against, and he gets a lot of important goals and uh, can be a first-line player on on a rebuilding squad. He'll get that chance to play alongside Nazem Kadri, who showed some growth in his game, too. This guy was a former first-round draft pick, finally showed a bit of a two-way game, some grit to his game, and uh, he has the playmaking ability and skill. And that's going to be partnered with William Nylander, one of the young jewels in this organization, who had a very nice cameo late last season. He's an uber-skilled forward, one of the top five ranking uh, skilled forwards Leafs have three of them in their system and we're going to get to see all of them probably this season uh if Mitch Marner makes the squad uh, Van Riemsdyk played half a year for the club this guy was on pace for a career year in scoring in uh, in the muddle that was Toronto's horrific campaign last season he's going to get a plum assignment playing with a fellow American whom uh, who's going to get a lot of ink in Toronto that's Austin Matthews coming from the desert uh, he's gonna. He's anointed as the team's future savior, but they're going to insulate this guy with a second line, maybe even a third line role to start the season. And another rookie is going to join them in Zach Hyman. This guy is one of those guys who is in the Gallagher, Marshawn mold, a real pest. He can play in front of the net. He's going to get some power play time here, I do believe, and he's got some good hands. So that's why I elevate him to a second line right wing. Could see this guy getting uh, 40 points, 40 to 50 in a good year if Austin Matthews delivers as he can uh, in a rookie season. Third line has a veteran mix with uh, Milan McCallick, who's a guy the Leafs took on that contract in the FNUF deal. Tyler Bozak probably relegated to third line duty. This is where... His talent really should have been all along, in my opinion. He was miscast as a top six forward, but he was there by necessity in a, in a talentless Toronto forward ranks. He's going to be joined by Nikita Soshnikov, another young guy who showed a tremendous wrist shot and some offensive upside and a lot of grit for a small kid. Uh, he, he bulked up over the summer a little bit, but more importantly, too, he took some boxing lessons. It's going to be interesting to see what he brings to the table, but he'll be insulated in a third-line role and protected by the defensive abilities of Bozak. I think you'll also, see, also potentially see Mitch Marner, one of the other top five uh, prospects in all of hockey, uber-skilled player, junior hockey player of the year, and Connor Brown, another guy who showed well in cameos last year. These guys will challenge for roles here. It's going to be pretty fluid in Toronto. How do you see it shaking down from a distance? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent on this team, um, but it's it's still early in their rebuild. Um, and, you know, Austin Matthews could be that generational talent they're looking for, um, but he's not going to be able to carry the team alone. Honestly, at this point, with, with all their options there, the, the coaching staff could just as easily pick their lines by throwing darts at a dartboard. <laughs> um, it's just it's it's a scramble for who to go where, and that's going to be something that they're going to have to work on in the you know training camp especially, but the opening few weeks of the seasons, season. So, you know, Leaf fans might want to give them a little bit of time while they, you know, play around with some combinations there. Um, I think a healthy JVR instantly boosts, it, boosts the talent on this team. Uh, he was on pace to notch his third consecutive 50-point season prior to the foot injury um, and talent to produce at that level once again. 
the one question mark I honestly had with all the moves that GM Lou Lamorello made last season, you know, compiling draft picks, bringing in solid prospects. The one standout that just seemed strange was bringing in Brooks Light. Uh, the 33-year-old has been kind of waning over the last few seasons. Uh, could find could once again find himself sitting on that waiver wire before the year is out. Um, but you know, it it does add some veteran leadership on a very young team. So maybe that's where he's where he was going with that. Um, but that's the one move that I really questioned uh, for them. Defensively, I think top unit you're looking at Morgan Riley, uh, Martin Marishan. Uh, Jake Gardner, and then the question mark for uh, paired up with Gardner here, I think, is going to be between Nikita Nesterev, um, probably botched that name, um, coming over from the KHL. Could as easily be uh, Stefan Robidas in that spot as well. Uh, and then, you know, that last pair, you're looking at Matt Hunwick, Roman Polak. Again, another uh, youthful squad in the midst of this rebuild. Again, uh, Nesterev coming out of the KHL. The 24-year-old has been pretty solid in his career so far, but is going to need to adjust to that North American game. As I mentioned earlier, it's just it's very different, uh, very different style of play, uh, smaller rank in a lot of cases. So um, take some adjustment, but give him a year or two in the NHL, get his legs underneath him. He could definitely be one of the core players on this new and improved Maple Leafs team. Uh, the name is Zaitsev. I'll help you out with that one. Uh, a little closer to home. I got a lot of chances to see this guy's highlight reels and uh, the uh, phonetics on his name were a little tricky, but it's Zaitsev, as I understand it. And uh, he's a guy that uh, projects as a second-line uh, defenseman. Uh, the guy's got a good shot. He's got some offensive upside. They didn't really spend a lot of money on this position uh, drawing him in on a on a entry level type deal with less than a million dollars on the price tag, it's a one year gamble, and uh, I think it's going to be money well spent based on all the all the clippings that I've seen. The future of this team really hinges on the continued development, in, in large part, Morgan Riley. I see this guy as a, a team leader here. He may be even the next captain of this club. That's how, how much I have faith in him. Jake Gardner, to me, the enig enigmatic piece in this puzzle. Guy's got more skill than anybody on the roster, I think. But you know what I say about players like this? Million-dollar body, 10-cent head. And that's my <laughs> concern here, that Jake Gardner seems to produce uh, great skill plays but then every once in a while he pulls a boner out of his hat and and gives up a gaff that's just highlight reels all over all over the place in terms of defensive gaffs so he's got to straighten that uh, that out in his game Robidas a guy I think uh, contrary to your opinion I think he's going to wind up staying on the IR this year they're going to stash him make a make room for a guy like Roman Pollock who who was brought back on a one-year deal to provide that veteran presence along the blue line the the other other dark horse that I, I think could really surprise is Martin Marinch and you highlighted this guy as the first line defensive pairing type with Morgan Riley I think he showed a lot of growth in the second half of last season and I've got uh a good hunch that he's going to stay there all year with Morgan Riley and benefit from playing with one of the Leafs' top uh, players on the blue line. In goal, they've really fortified things by changing them over and giving uh, that, a, that group a very Scandinavian look with the acquisition of Frederick Anderson, who uh, they signed uh, with a, after a deal with Anaheim. Four years at $5 million apiece. This guy's winning percentage as a pro is off the charts in his first uh, term with Anaheim. He, over four years, he, he won like 65% of his games. That's not going to happen in Toronto, but they're hoping that this guy can be a minute eater and play upwards of 60 games. He is nursing a bit of an injury sustained in, in the lead-up to the World Cup that's raised some uh, early concerns, but by all accounts should be ready to go even for training camp this year. And he's partnered with Jonas Enroth, who uh, cut his teeth in Buffalo and uh, was a good backup in L.A., had a better winning percentage than the starter there, who was well-known, Jonathan Quick. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm boosted as a Leaf fan, thinking they only spent $750,000 for this veteran insurance. I think this is a big reason why the Leafs are going to start turning in the right direction. They've solidified their goaltending. It looks better than it has in years, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think while most fans were have probably been worried about injuries during the World Cup, uh, that Olympic qualifying match went largely unnoticed until Frederick Anderson gets taken out by one of his teammates. Uh, I think no doubt uh, fans there in Toronto, yourself maybe included, could be heard muttering, here we go again, <laughs> after the bevy of injuries that helped them secure the number one pick last year. Um, you know, they, 
the it wasn't just uh, you know the trades and the rebuild. There were some injuries that really uh, hampered them last year. I mentioned JVR being back, um, but you know Frederick Anderson, if he's if he's back and healthy, um, is definitely an upgrade from from what you had last season. Um, you know Jonas Enroth, um I think he's you know you mentioned his win percentage, but as as a sheer total has kind of struggled to put up any significant number of wins uh, throughout his entire career. And I think that's why he kind of goes from one backup job to the next. Um, Hasn't really been tested as far as, you know, a starter. Um, And and I think Garrett Sparks is going to be nipping at his heels while he's in the uh, the AHL. And he's got you on your side. You know, uh, Enroth is about five years older, kind of an unproven quantity, having, you know, brought him in from the free agent wire. Uh, whereas Sparks is, you know, kind of toiled and, and ground away in the AHL, got some NHL starts last year. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Sparks overtake uh, Enroth for the backup job there. All right. We've done uh, our best to highlight each of the eight teams. It's time to put up or shut up. We're going to look at these uh, predictions at the end of the season and see how we do. Maybe a, a loony against the dollar in each of these picks uh, by division, at least for the division title. I'm going to say the order uh, finish is like this. Tampa in first. Florida second, Detroit third, continuing their string of playoff appearances. Montreal fourth, missing the postseason. Boston, Ottawa, Buffalo, and Toronto in that order. I think the Leafs are going to struggle to get out of the basement because of the improvement of the Sabres. Maybe Ottawa's coming back to the pack a little bit. That trio shouldn't be separated by too much. How do you see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you up top. I've, I've got Tampa number one. I think our big disagreement here is going to be Boston. I've got them coming up. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's going to come down to two girls. Uh, if he can stay healthy, if he on straight, I, I think he can power Boston through. Number third, um, I, I'm on the edge of whether or not they'll make the playoff. At this point, I'll say yes as, as one of those wild card spots. Uh, Detroit down to fifth. I, I think they're going to be out of the playoffs this year. Um, I, wow. There's just a, a number of question marks with that team, I think. Uh, and then uh, rounding out the bottom, I got Buffalo, then Toronto, and Ottawa dropping back to the, the bottom of the pack here. So you see the Leafs escaping the cellar. That's interesting. Well, that's uh, that concludes the preview part of the show, but we're going to get you into the staples of our program that you're going to look forward to all season long. The stud of the week, in my opinion, I look back at this guy's body of work over the summer and even into last season. I give the nod to Steve Eiserman, the GM of the Tampa Lightning, what this guy did in keeping a lid on the Stamco situation and then tiptoeing through several other contract situations all summer long, now has this team point poised for a great season. He's done a fabulous job ma- ma- managing the salary cap. I didn't think it would turn out this well for them, quite frankly. He's still got some work to do with some more contracts during the course of this season. But Steve Eisenman proved to me he's at the very front racks of the general managers in the league, just as he was a player when in his playing days. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget his firm stance on Jonathan Druin last season. Uh, refused to give in, uh, but was able to you know, bring uh, the 21-year-old back into the fold. And he lit it up in the postseason with 14 points and 17 outings. Yeah, great call there. And uh, we'll finish up by going to the rant of the week. I'm going to get into a controversial stance here. I know you don't agree with me, but this is the World Cup of Hockey. In the World Cup of Soccer, we don't see under-23 teams. We don't see Team Europe. Everybody plays under their flag. Are you serious, including two teams like this? I mean, I'm old enough to remember the original Canada Cups when it was six countries. They wanted to go with eight teams here to make it a symmetrical playoff structure, I guess. But they could have found two other stiff countries that uh, that should be vying for entry into this this program, uh, and and I I would rather have seen that. What the impact does of the under twenty three team, it basically weakens the Canadian and U.S. teams and gives people a a very different impression of how those teams would really really be with the addition of guys like. Connor McDavid and others and Jack Eichel and so on. Uh, so I'd like to know what you think about this, but I, I think Team Under 23 should be a contender for this tournament with all that said. Yeah, I have to disagree with you a little bit here, Paul. Um, I, I, I'm with you a little on Team Euro. Um, they just, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge and the guys don't really know each other well and it's, it's showing up, I think, in their performances. On the other hand, I, I love the Team North America concept. Uh, I agree you might be watering down the talent pool for the U.S. and Canada a little bit, 
But you're also giving a stage to guys like Matt Murray, Mark Sheafley, who are top-end talents that would probably not have made their respective national squads due to the depth above them. A great way for them to be highlighted. And I'd be honest, I'd love to see these guys back together again in five years as a U-28 team, see what they could do at that point. So you're going to put them in a bit of a, a beaker in chemistry class and, and use them as a test case, I guess, to bring them along every few years and see how they measure up against the rest of the squads. Interesting perspective. And it's okay to disagree. That's kind of what gives an extra flavor to a show like this. And I think it's a neat way to close out the show. AJ, great effort. Uh, you can follow AJ Scholes uh, at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. AJ, how do you feel about episode number one? Yeah, definitely had to shake out the butterflies a little bit, but uh, excited to be here. Looking forward to the rest of the season and breaking down uh, the, other, the other three preseason um, uh, divisions. And yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun this year, I think. Absolutely. And we ask our listeners to look out for our hockey pod every week so that you can get all the latest news and tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contests, whether they be daily or season-long in nature. Look for our pods on, uh, on the website here and uh, on social media. media we'll, we'll feed it out and Rotowire will pump, pump this as well. We wish you the best in your hockey endeavors, fans. Uh, so long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.